Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. I think I'm probably just going to pray, and then we'll, uh, well, I don't know how you top that. Oh, my goodness. How about one more hand for our band? I have never had more FOMO in my life than the last four minutes while they were up there singing. I would kill to be able to do that, and I cannot do that. So instead, you're going to have to listen to me talk. But we get to talk about something fun, something that I love to talk about, and Allie alluded to this earlier, but it's this idea of love songs. How many of you, your wedding dance was to one of the songs that was played a second ago? Show of hands. How many of you, just one person? All right, we're going to have to do it again next week and try again. But I love love songs because, really, they're the soundtrack to our lives. Now, my love for love songs started a long time ago in the back seat of my dad's Ford Taurus as we would go on road trips for soccer games. And I remember laying in the back seat or sitting in the back seat in my favorite station, the one that he would always listen to, the one that's really like a kind of a time machine for me is this like soft rock radio station. It was called K-Lite in Wichita Falls. And it's still today, 80s soft rock is my all-time favorite genre. So in this little competition that we're doing with playlists, that's, I have the sweetest 80s soft rock jams. Just a little shameless plug, because I don't care who wins. But <laughs> there's something about those songs. They're so syrupy and sappy, and you feel like you gotta brush your teeth after you listen to them, but oh, they're so good. And so my love for love songs started way back then, and then as I grew older, Maybe you had this experience, you would sit by the radio with your cassette tape, getting ready to press record when that certain song came on. Y'all don't think I'm old enough to do that. I see the judgment in your eyes, but actually, I made mixtapes too. I made a lot of mixtapes. Nobody made many mixtapes for me, but I made a lot of mixtapes for other people because I love music. There's something very thoughtful and intentional about which song comes first, and then you kind of pay attention to the flow and the momentum and the energy of the songs that you're doing, but you don't want to peek in the mixtape too soon because you, you, can't, you can't do that, and so you got to kind of then bring it back down, and then you build it back up, and then it has to crescendo, and so if you go listen to my, my playlist that I made for y'all, it's perfect. It is perfect, but I love love songs, and I love love songs because they inspire us They make us believe that certain things in our lives are possible, that there is something for us that is greater than maybe we could have possibly imagined for ourselves. But the problem with some love songs is the messages that they contain. Now, this isn't like a censorship sermon where I'm going to tell you to delete all of the rap out of your playlist. That's not where we're going, but it's really for us to stop and pay a little bit of attention to maybe some of the ways that these messages and love songs have actually subtly influenced and informed maybe what we believe about love that actually makes it difficult for us to be in relationships. Because the sermon series isn't really about love songs. It's actually about relationships because what we want most for you is we want you to have great relationships. We're just using love songs as kind of the mechanism and the avenue to kind of approach what we think are some important messages related to how we have relationships and the way that we are in relationships. I mean, we were created 
from our very existence, God designed us to be highly relational. He created us to be in relationship with him. He created us to be in relationship with other people. And so woven into our very core, our very DNA, is this innate desire to be in a relationship and to be in relationship with other people, which is why maybe many of us had big smiles on our faces as we listened to the band sing all those love songs because it taps into this innate need, this innate desire in us. But, like I said before, over time, some of these messages and love songs influence us negatively. They make us think things about relationships that probably actually aren't true. And so we're going to identify a couple of messages in this series found in the lyrics of love songs that we got to push pause on. Now, if I was just to kind of walk you through some of the absurd lyrics that are found in some of our favorite love songs, I, I think it would maybe not have as as large of an impact as I want. And so I was trying to think, okay, how can I communicate the ridiculousness, the absurdity of some of these lyrics, besides just showing them to you on a screen or reading them to you? I'm not talented enough to sing them to you. And I thought, ah, what if we just imagined for a moment that we met somebody, we were excited about this new relationship, and then they texted us some of these lyrics <laughs> in the form of a message. And I thought, well, maybe that would put it in the proper context for us to recognize how silly some of these lyrics are. So imagine you meet a guy or you meet a girl and you're really excited about this and all of a sudden, ding, your phone dings and, or vibrates if you're under 40 and you pull out your phone. Some of y'all got that. You pull out your phone and it's that special someone and this is the message that they sent you. I would walk 500 miles. I would walk 500 more just to be the man or woman that walked a thousand miles to fall down at your door. If someone texts you that, you'd be like, oh my gosh, is this person for real? Like, give me a break. Or maybe they texted you this. I can be your hero, baby. I can kiss away the pain. I will stand by you forever. And guess what? You, you can take my breath away. It would be like barf. Or maybe you're of a different generation and they texted you this. I've been alone with you inside my mind. In my dreams, I've kissed your lips a thousand times. I sometimes see you pass outside my door. Hello, is it me you're looking for? Yeah, that would, that would probably be left on uh, unread. Now, some of these are funny. Some of these take a slightly a little bit uh, creepy tone. So... Maybe this is what you got texted. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. I can't imagine there would be a follow-up date after receiving that text message. You might forward that to a couple of friends along with your location so that they know where you were. Now, this just points a little bit to the absurdity of some of these lyrics, which is fine, which is all well and good. We love to sing to them. We love to drive to them. We love to dance to them. They're the soundtracks of our lives, but at times there are certain messages that they contain that influence us, that maybe begin to help lead us down a direction that is not something that we actually find helpful in relationships. They contain these ideas that actually are incorrect or problematic about how we feel about love. 
or how we think about how we're supposed to be in a relationship or the ways that we should go about it. And so we try to use this comparison of what we experience in our own lives versus maybe some of the song lyrics that we hear about. And we don't understand the gaps between the two and why it works on the radio, but it doesn't work in our lives. So today, the first message that we're going to look at that we need to press pause on is central to every love story you've ever heard, you've ever seen, you've ever read about. It begins with one boy or one person finding another person that is the right person for them. And in the movies that we watch, we can recognize this in the first couple of scenes that they were meant to be together They were destined to spend the rest of their life together. And throughout the course of the book or the song or the movie, they spend their story trying to get together. And then once they finally get together, the story ends, the movie's over, and they live happily ever after. And so this is maybe the most insidious of all of the things that we're going to talk about through the next couple of weeks this idea right here. There is a right person for me, and once I find the right person, everything will be all right. There's a right person for me, and once I find the right person, everything will be all right. Now, some of you are like, oh, I thought this was going to be fun. He's just going to like dash all of our hopes and dreams about this idea of a soulmate. And that's not what this is about, because not all of this statement is incorrect. This part here at the top, this idea that there's a right person for you, that very well may be true. There might be somebody who is compatible with you, who shares the same beliefs and values, has similar background or education levels, you want the same things in your life, and then maybe they're the right person for you. The problem is not the first part of this idea. The, the catch comes in, when you believe this. Once I find the right person, everything will be all right. Now, this comes to us in many different forms, but among the more famous is a classic 80s soft rock hit by the band Foreigner. So just listen for this idea that there's a right person for me, and once I find the right person, everything in my life will be all right. So long, I've been looking too hard. I've been waiting too long. Sometimes I don't know what I will find. I only know it's a matter of time. I am searching for that right person. There's one person out there that's right for me, and once I find that right person, everything will be all right. When you love someone, when you love someone, it feels, it feels so right, so warm and true. I need to know if you feel it too. I've been waiting for a girl like you to come into my life. I've been waiting for a girl like you. Your loving will survive. I've been waiting for someone new to make me feel alive. Yeah, I've been waiting for a girl like you to come into my life. Now, what you'll notice through this song that reinforces this belief that there's a right person for me and that once I find this right person, everything will be all right, is this recognition that it's all about this initial chemistry. The reason this feels true, 
The reason that maybe we've operated on this assumption, that maybe the reason that we've had some of the relationship setbacks or heartbreaks that we've had in our life is because this feels true. You see, we all have a list. We all have a list of something that we're looking for in another person. All of the characteristics and qualities, the height or the certain weight or the appearance or the zip code or the, you know, the you know, tax income bracket that we want our special person to be in. We all have a list. And then we meet somebody. And then all of a sudden we get a case of the feels. We start to feel the butterflies and the excitement just being near them makes our heart race. And all of a sudden, all of these hormones and chemicals are going off in our brain and our list goes out the window because it feels right. You're like, finally, I found Mr. or Mrs. Right, which is informed by how you feel in that, about that person in that moment. Well, really, this is just chemistry and biology and physiology. And so inevitably, as we know, what ends up happening is we enter into a relationship with this person because it feels right. And then at some point, inevitably, it stops feeling the way it felt at the beginning. And all of a sudden, we don't get as excited when they walk into the room or when they call or now instead of our hearts racing when they text, we're annoyed, like, what do you want? Leave me alone. I would just talk to you a second ago. It dramatically shifts because the chemistry fades. And so once the chemistry fades, we recognize that, uh-oh, I made a mistake. They're not Mr. or Mrs. Right. And so what do we do? We begin to look for a new Mr. or Mrs. Right so that we can feel like it's right. And all of a sudden we find somebody new and we enter into the same rhythm and the same dynamic and we're flooded with all the excitement and the hormones and the chemicals. And for some of us, this has been the pattern in our dating life for years or maybe in our married life for years because we see somebody and we're immediately attracted to them and then we enter into a relationship with them, and then the attraction fades, and then we look for a new relationship. Now the reality is with this, you are romantically compatible with far more people than you're relationally compatible. From a physiological standpoint, from a biological standpoint, there will be far more people who you could be romantically compatible with than you'd ever be able to be relationally compatible with. And you know this, you get into these relationships, we experience this, we're like, ah, the chemistry is off the charts, but we have nothing in common. We can't share similar values. They don't have the same belief system that I believe. You know, maybe we think differently about how we want to raise kids or if we want to have kids or how we spend money, or maybe they have a bad history with money and we ignore all of these things that are crucial to our relational compatibility, all in the name of romantic compatibility. And so we do this again and again. We see this most easily on everybody's favorite show, <laughs> The Bachelor. That's right. There is this lucky man or lucky woman who has all of these eligible people hoping for, wanting their hand, and 
you know, the most telling of this is the exit interviews when the guy or the girl is a little emotional and disturbed and upset because they just felt like that person was the right person, but I guess they're not the right person, and so now I've got to go and try to find the right person. And inevitably, come on, what happens? We watch this show. We're hooked on, no, she's right for him. No, he's right for her. Which one is it going to be? Can he recognize which one's actually right for him? And we hope that the certain guy or the certain girls get the roses at the end. And then inevitably there's a proposal. And then what do you do? You watch the internet waiting to see whether or not they were really right for each other after all. Did they break up? What happened to the relationship? Who's still together? We bring everybody back and talk about what was right and what was wrong. We live this out in our own lives. Because we're convinced through these love songs that there's a right person for me. And once I find the right person, everything will be all right. Now, this isn't just a dynamic that applies to people who are looking to be in a relationship, someone who's maybe searching for that specific person, that right person for them. This, this affects married people or people who are in committed relationships as well. Because all of a sudden, the chemistry's faded, and now you're not that excited about the person that you were once excited about because you've shifted your focus and priorities on all of these other things, hoping that chemistry would just see you through the course of your relationship, and so you didn't do any of the work that you needed to do. And so now you feel like you're married to somebody that maybe you don't know as well, that you don't have that chemistry with, and you maybe subtly think to yourself, or you worry at night sometimes, if we're being honest, that maybe I made a mistake, maybe I married the, the wrong person. You're believing this lie this lie that, well, if they were the right person, everything would be all right, that your relationship wouldn't require any work, that there wouldn't be hard moments, that you wouldn't have to go to therapy together to help work through issues and emotional complications that maybe you brought into the relationship or that developed while you were in the relationship together, that there's no work that's needed, that if it was really the right person, everything would just be okay. And then it's not okay. And so the conclusion that we often come to is that they're the wrong person and the solution is that we gotta find the right person. Now come on, if this, would tr if this was true, then divorce statistics wouldn't look like this. Divorce rate, first time marriages, 45%. Divorce rate, second time marriages, 65%. Divorce rate of third time marriages, 73%. If I said I'm thinking of a number between 1 and 10 and I gave you one guess or three guesses, which would you have a better chance of guessing the number at? Three. If this was true, the more times you got married, the lower the divorce rate because you would have a better opportunity of finding the right person. But that's not what the divorce rates do. They go the opposite direction. Why? This isn't true. Once you find the right person, that is not the indicator that everything is going to be all right. So, what do we do? What do we do if this isn't true? How do we begin to operate in our relationships? What do we begin to look for or think about or shift our focus on as we move into possibly finding a new relationship or trying to salvage or improve the quality of the relationship that we're in? What do we do? Well, fortunately for us, Scripture talks about this. Now, it's not specifically limited to and focused on a relational dynamic, 
but is a truth that applies to this very situation. I think it's one that maybe even if you don't feel it in this, mo- this morning, brings us a lot of hope. No matter where you are in your relationship journey, maybe you feel like you're married to the wrong person, maybe you think that hopefully they could be the right person, or maybe you're not sure what kind of person you married or you're in a relationship with, or you don't know who to look for, I think this can help us. So this comes out of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a whole set of guidance, advice, wisdom, rules for life written by what was the smartest man who ever lived. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you realize that maybe he's not an expert always in relationships based on a couple of sermons ago, but uh, those who can't teach. So Solomon and I have things in common, and here's what he says about relationships. The simple believe anything. Now, this word simple means maybe naive, maybe foolish, maybe slow. The simple, they believe anything. But the prudent give thoughts to their steps. The wise are cautious and avoid trouble, but the fool becomes excited and is careless. Now, for those of you who have friends or people in your life who believe this myth that once they find the right person, everything will be all right, does anything better describe their pattern of behavior? I met somebody new. Tell me about him. Oh, he's the best. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I think I finally found the one. Three weeks later, what happened? It didn't work, but I, found, I met somebody new. Again, over and over and over you go because you're so excited about the potential of this relationship. You're easily excitable. It may be a little naive, perhaps even foolish to think that just finding Mr. or Mrs. Right is all that you need to make everything in your life and in your relationship all right. Perhaps that isn't what we need. So what is the solution? Well, it's contained here in this same scripture. Look at the contrast that Solomon makes between the wise and the foolish people. The simple, they believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. See, foolish people, they just jump at any and every opportunity thinking that maybe this is the magic lottery ticket. They're so excited about this new relationship, they dive in head first and realize that maybe they rushed in too soon. But not the wise, not the prudent, not the thoughtful, the intentional, the disciplined. These people, they plan out how they want their relationships to go. They think through the type of person that they want to be with. And they recognize that when they meet somebody that they get excited about that, that that is not the only indication that they should pay attention to. Sure, it is great to feel excited about a new relationship. It is great to have butterflies. None of that is bad or wrong. Those are all natural things. They're just not the only thing. Sometimes, most of the time, in fact, every time, you need something more in your relationship than chemistry. You need something more than just chemistry. And so what do the wise people do? They begin to build their lists, not about initially what they're looking for based on appearance, but about the type of person, the kind of person that they want to be in a relationship with. What is this person's belief systems? What are their values? What's most important to them? How do they feel about important issues? See, we think that opposites attract, which initially is true, but similarities they sustain. Opposites attract, but similarities sustain. 
That's why the Bible talks about being equally yoked with your significant other. There's an important aspect and truth to this idea that you have to figure out who you are and what it is that you're looking for. Now, part of that requires figuring out who you are. And so some of that means that maybe you've got to do a little bit of self-work yourself. Maybe some of that means that you have to stop and re-aim before you reload. Some of us, we just go from relationship to relationship to relationship, and we don't ever take time to figure out where we were off the mark. We just assume that it, the problem was that it was the wrong person. Maybe part of the problem's you. Like maybe, maybe you need to stop and think about your patterns, to look back at your previous dating history. Maybe some of that is an indication of changes that you need to make in your life. And then maybe you need to stop and begin to think about who it is that you want to be moving forward. I mean, we just came out of this sermon series called You in Five Years that talks and walks you through how to do exactly that. How do you pay attention to the person that you are and the person that you're becoming? And how do you do so intentionally? Wise people do that. And so what happens is you become a wise person in your dating life or in your married life, as you begin to identify what's most important in your marriage, you're better able to filter and to screen who comes into your life. So the people that you used to be excited about, you might not be excited about anymore because you've done the work. You've planned your steps. You've thought through the type of person that you want to be in a relationship with, not just the initial attraction, far beyond that, but to the substance, to the character, to the heart of who that person is. That's just part of it. Solomon goes on and he says, not only do they plan their steps, but the wise are cautious and they avoid trouble. But the fool becomes excited and is careless. For some of us, maybe the one thing you need to hear this morning is that when it comes to relationships, speed kills. Speed kills in every relationship. I've never had a couple come into my office working through issues and the first thing they say is, we move too slow. They just don't say that. I've never gotten red flags when I've been meeting with a couple prior to marrying them because they dated for too long prior to getting engaged. That's never the case. It's always the case that, like the song says, fools rush in. As you begin to think about your relationships, maybe you need to tap the brakes a little bit. Maybe you need to slow down and be cautious to recognize that it's not wrong to feel excited about that person. But maybe it's dangerous to act on that excitement, to move too fast too soon, to get too far ahead of your skis. Because ultimately, what we see is when you base a decision based on chemistry and excitement and passion, it is not enough to sustain a relationship. And so for those of you who are already in a relationship, who are married, what are the ways that maybe you need to slow down and double down and maybe go back and have some conversations with your spouse or your significant other? What are the things that you need to clarify in terms of priorities? Maybe you got together and it was great and it was so fun and then all of a sudden you had kids and all of your effort and energy and focus went to the kids and you just assumed that the thing that brought you together in the first place would see you through it to the other side. You know one of the most dangerous times for couples to get divorced is right after their kids leave the house. Why? because of the same dynamic, they recognize that in that moment, uh-oh, we haven't paid attention to us. We haven't done date nights. We have forgotten to be intentional about planning our steps and being cautious and recognizing that it's not just emotion and energy and passion and excitement that can sustain, sustain a relationship. But it's being thoughtful 
It's being intentional. It's saying, no, date night is going on the calendar. It's important. Every week or every two weeks, we go to dinner. Every two months or every six months, we take a weekend away together. Every couple of years, we go on a week-long trip. We are setting rhythms in our life and in our calendar that help us reconnect. To prioritize this relationship, recognizing that it's not just chemistry that sees us through. My wish and hope and prayer is that all of us find the right person. But that we'd also recognize that it takes far more than just finding the right person for everything to be all right. So we need to let go of this lie. We need to press pause on this message. And we need to remember that as we move into relationships or as we're navigating our current relationships, plan your steps, be thoughtful, be intentional, and be cautious. Going too slow will never get you in trouble. Now, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about some other messages that we hear from these love songs. And so if you came here today and you're like, this really felt more like a message about single people who are dating, the next two weeks, we're turning the heat on, and it is all about married people. Now, if you're single and you're like, well, great, well, then I'm not coming the next two weeks, maybe you want to be married one day, and so this is an opportunity for you to study ahead. So I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then I hope that as you go out, you'll begin to think about people in your life that maybe need to hear this message, that maybe need a little extra wisdom, maybe need a little extra guidance in their relationship. Maybe you send them this message, and hopefully, most importantly, maybe you bring them with you next week. Let me pray first. Gracious and loving God, thank you for making us designed for and inclined to be in relationships with one another. But God, we recognize it's hard. There's a lot of mixed messages. There's a lot of different ideas about re what relationships should look like or what we should prioritize in them or how we should go about finding them. And sometimes we get confused by the love songs we listen to. So God, let us focus on your word, on this idea to plan our steps thoughtfully and intentionally and to be cautious as we move through our relationships so that ultimately we can have one that lasts. God, let us let go of this idea that once we find the right person, everything will be all right. And help us focus on becoming the right person who can build the right kind of a relationship. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.